You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the sermon for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the message. We are week two of our Sabbath series called Inhale, Exhale. And I thought Logan did a fantastic job last week of, of just presenting this idea that, that God invites us to slow down, that that's part of our regular routine, like, we, like breathing. And sometimes we just breathe, most of the time we just breathe without even thinking about it, but sometimes we, we stop and we focus on our breathing and we, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes our breathing becomes really apparent when we're just worn out. Uh, we ran, ran up the stairs, ran, run across the street. Uh, we choose to run for five miles. On, who, who wants to do that? Um, not me, but, um, you know, breathing becomes this thing that's just, we do. And yet sometimes we need to exhale and we just need to stop and slow down. And part of that, uh, was this invitation creating space for Sabbath. And, and we asked you guys to, uh, to take this sheet that was in your bulletin and, and take a look at it and, and just start tracking your week, just start tracking what's going on in your week. Where do the different parts and, and pieces fit? Uh, how's that going for you guys? Like me, did you lose it? Because if you did, uh, we have it on the back table. Uh, but we, we invite you to do that. We'll have that here. And, uh, and it could even be a discipleship moment to sit down with a person that's mentoring you. Uh, maybe in your life transforming group, go through that and just, just have a conversation about how your week is going. Oh, by the way, we'll probably be doing this in a couple of weeks at care group, hint, hint. Um, so we'll take a look at this and have that conversation. I, uh, I didn't plan on starting the sermon this way, but, uh, but I, I had a couple conversations within the last couple of weeks that just told me that man, maybe I need to have the conversation this way this week. And the question is this, do we as Christians need to observe Sabbath? Is that a thing? Like, like I thought we were no longer tied to laws. I've had uh, actually a couple of different people uh, say it. Do we need to observe Sabbath? And so I feel like we need to answer this question because I think there's a lot of misinformation, misconception about this idea. And it it comes out of the scriptures. I mean, we'll see uh, Galatians 4, 9 through 11. Paul, Paul says, but now you have come to know God or rather to be known by God. How is that you turn back to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again. And he goes on to say this, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. 
Now to understand this particular verse, we have to understand the larger con- conversation and Paul's writing to Gentiles and there's Jews coming in at that time saying, you need to become circumcised. You need to become Jewish in order to be part of what God is doing through Jesus. The problem is if, if we misapply this verse, not only do we get rid of Sabbath, but we get rid of Christmas and Easter and Sunday morning worship. That's where the logic has to go, right? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Like we'd have to just throw it all out. What I recommend is that when we look at this verse, we have, Paul's ask, asking this particular question. Do you live as if your salvation is tied to your observance of days and months and seasons and years? Do you live as if your salvation, like, is, like this is required that you, if you don't observe that day, if you don't observe that month, if you don't observe, if you don't make it to enough Sundays, your salvation is in question. If you don't make it to Easter service, your, your salvation is in question. And I think that's the question that, that the Apostle Paul is trying to get to. But let's go back earlier in, into Galatians. There's this other passage that's maybe a little more problematic. Galatians 2.15 says, We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. <laughs> you know what that means? We're all sinners. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that. <laughs> Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. This is an important statement that he's making here. He's going to repeat it. But through faith in Christ Jesus, what justifies us? Faith. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ. The we being the Jews the Jewish Christians, the messianic followers of Christ, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. He says it a second time. He might say it one more time. (laughs) Since by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. So Paul wants you to pay attention to this. Get this right. No one is justified by the works of the law. And I agree. 100%. Paul is preaching. Listen to him. Here's the question. What does Paul mean by the works of the law? Wouldn't that be important? Wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be important to know what he means by that? Well, the works of the law in the Hebrew is miksat ma'ase hatra. Miksat ma'ase hatra. In 1946, 1947, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, of the Dead Sea Scrolls, about 40% of the scrolls were uh, Torah texts, 30% were other religious texts, and then 30% uh, had to do with uh, how they functioned as a, as a community, 
kind of like uh, kind of like the um, the Bill of Rights, those that kind of a document, the, uh, kind of like our doctrinal statement, maybe, um, maybe our statement of faith, it, it'd be, or 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 our order of worship, those kinds of things. Like there's documents that said, this is how we operate as a community. Within the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found this Hebrew phrase, miksa maaseh hatarah, the works of the law. And what scholars have since found out, now, now remember that's 50, uh, 70 years ago. Like this is relatively new to have this information. And it, and it took him some time to decipher these things. Um, what scholars found is this. Of the 613 laws, the, the laws are divided into, th- into three areas. The miksat maaseh hatra, the works of the law that make you Jewish, the, those, those things within the law that make you Jewish. In other words, um, wearing the tassels, circumcision, eating kosher, uh, and the peculiar way that they observe Sabbath. Okay, that's one third of the 613 laws. The next third is the cultic laws, which define how the priests function and how they make sacrifice. That third of the law is only for the Levites. It's not even for the rest of the Israelites. Like you have to be a paid player in order to be required to follow those laws. That's the cultic law. And then the other third of the laws are ethical laws that are universally true. This is where we get our sexual ethic. Right? As Christians, like the New Testament tells us some things, but you really, the things that we know in the New Testament depend on the Old Testament for us to fully understand everything that we need to understand when it comes to our sexual ethic. This is where we get the 10 commandments. Let's look at the next slide. Of these 10 commandments, the one commandment where I heard people say, well, we're not tied to the law, so we don't have to follow that. It's keep the Sabbath. Which of you are going to say, Rob, you can't talk to me about my lying. I'm not under law anymore. Which of you can say that to me? Rob, you can't talk to me about committing adultery. You can't talk to me about that. I'm not under law anymore. Murder? Come on. We know that the law applies to that. that we know that law applies to us universally, Right? Is how our, our whole society is based upon these 10 commandments, except for number four, we want to discount and we want to say, well, that's not for us. So when Paul says that we are not justified by the works of the law, he's saying we are not justified 
by becoming Jewish, which is the whole intent of the book of Galatians. If you look at it as a whole body, if you look at what Paul's saying, we are not justified by wearing tassels, by observing Sabbath in the peculiar way that the, that the Jews are called to observe Sabbath. We're not justified by eating kosher. That's not what justifies us. And Paul says, even they're not justified. The Jewish believers of Christ, they're not justified by keeping the law, like this perfection, like we got to do it just right. Oh, by the way, we have our own works of the law within Christendom. You know, I grew up, you couldn't play cards. You couldn't dance. You know, you couldn't listen to rock and roll. Even if, even if they were singing Christian words, you couldn't listen to them because that beat was of the devil, <laughs> right? Uh, isn't that word, have we lived, isn't that part of our history within American Christianity? We, all, we have our own works of the law. We love works of the law. Like we're tied to that kind of a thing. So is Sabbath for Christians? I'm going to say yes. Do we observe it like the Jews do? I'm going to say no. It's not the same. We have, a, we have a definition. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that. Uh, before we get to the definition, I, I want to, because we're talking about the Ten Commandments, and, and since we're here, let's talk about a couple things that, that maybe we've missed out on because we wanted to say, well, maybe like culturally, Historically, as Christians, we've said, well, maybe, maybe Sabbath isn't for us. Maybe that's not something we really have to do. Like, uh, it's been kind of this gray, nebulous area. But there's a couple things within the Ten Commandments, uh, the two places that captures this in Exodus and Deuteronomy about Sabbath that I want to highlight. Number one, um, Exodus 20 says, remember, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Be mindful. Don't forget about this. Don't lose track of this is the command. Such an interesting command. Usually commands are, are like, if you do this, you know, this is going to happen. You know, I, I give my kids commands. Like if you don't clean your room, you're going to be grounded for the rest of your lives. Right. This is such a weird command. Remember the Sabbath. But, but maybe this is more of an invitation. Maybe, maybe God is, there's this invitation to something that's better for us. That, that if we remember it, just like if we live out the rest of the Ten Commandments, therefore our, our relationships are better. In Deuteronomy uh, 5, we're told to observe the Sabbath. Uh, the word in the Hebrew means quite literally to guard over it. 
guard over the Sabbath, cherish this, protect it like you guard over your child, like you guard over those important relationships. You don't let something get in the way of those relationships. Guard over Sabbath to keep it holy, to keep it distinct and separate. It's not the same as the other days as your Lord, your God has commanded you. Again, such, such an interesting command. Like what I hear from people when they don't know Jesus, when they don't know the father is they talk about the commands like these, these, like these restrictive, God's so restrictive. I need the restrictions that God places on me. They're so good. The restrictions that God placed on me about how I'm to relate with my wife and other women. I'm better off for those restrictions, restrictions. Like I, I don't see my relationship with my wife restrictive. I find it very freeing. It's my benefit. And God tells me how to live because he designed me. We said that last week, we said that Sabbath is connected to creation, right? It's actually the final thing that you say, the final thing that Jesus created. Reread Exodus or Genesis 2 verses 1 through 3 and read that language. You'll get this sense that, that it was the last thing that he created. Such a beautiful sight. Now there is a distinctive for us as Christians, that I want to highlight is found in uh, Colossians 2. This is Apostle Paul again. He says, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath day. In other words, which day you choose to adhere to Sabbath. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. By the way, a shadow is a two-dimensional depiction of a three-dimensional reality. Sabbath is a shadow of heaven. The three-dimensional reality of what life with God for eternity is going to be like. Uh, Some have suggested that when you practice Sabbath, you're practicing for eternity. The things that you enjoy in Sabbath will lead you to the things that is like preparation, like I'm like uh, practice, you know, like so many times at the foul line during practice so that during the game, when it comes to shooting your free throws, you're actually good, better than Rob, more like Logan. <laughs> But no, we, so Scott does his Sabbath on Wednesdays. I do my Sabbath on Saturday. A lot of you choose Sunday for your Sabbath. I'm not here to judge what day you choose and what you do on that Sabbath. Because we don't have these hard and fast rules for what this looks like. So this is, this is the definition that we live with for Mission Ridge. 
Uh, this provides us with a rough structure for Sabbath. A Sabbath is a weekly 24 hour period. We choose, we choose to set apart, to cease from our regular routine. Whatever that is. Cease from our regular routine so that we can intentionally engage with God, ourselves, and those important to us. Sabbath is to be relational. Sabbath is to be experienced together. Sabbath is to be, to be given. If you go back to uh, Deuteronomy 5 and look at the rest of that passage, the Lord's going to say that Sabbath isn't just for you is for the people around you. We shouldn't be just enjoying Sabbath for ourselves at the detriment of everybody around us. We need to give Sabbath away. So that's our, that's our definition for better or for worse. You can maybe come up with a better definition. Uh, we invite you to wrestle over what Sabbath means to you and to your family. Because again, we don't have these hard and fast rules as, as followers of Christ, but out of my relationship with Christ, I found that Sabbath is so important and so special. And, and, and I think because, because historically as the Christian church. And, and I'll tell you this, I never grew up with a Sabbath sermon, let alone a series. So I don't have a lot of people telling me, you know, from my, from my history, you know, speaking into my ear going, this is the, how the conversation should take place. I will tell you this, almost every leadership book that I've read for pastors tells us as pastors that we should Sabbath. The great leaders of the faith, the great thinkers of our present time, Billy Graham's going to tell you that, that Sabbath is so valuable. Go, go research it. And, and the people that are investing in pastors are going to say, pastors, you can't just drive all the time. And I'm going, wait a minute, these great thinkers are telling me the Sabbath as a pastor. What am I supposed to tell my people? Maybe they need it too. And that's when Logan and I, we start wrestling going, what's this conversation look like for our people? And that's why, but, but again, I don't, I don't have those amazing sermons to think back on and go, Oh, Pastor Bob, when he preached on this, or Pastor Jim, when he preached on this, or Pastor Aaron, when he preached on this, like, like godly men. But when they preached, I don't remember them talking about Sabbath. So I don't, I don't have that backdrop. I want to take us back to the original moment when Sabbath was talked about. Because I think there's such an important, special message for us about Sabbath, if we, if we go back there. So I want to take you back to that moment. Sabbath was first communicated to people that were sitting at the base of Mount Sinai. They had been in slavery for 400 years. They worked 12 to 16 hours a day, seven days a week, 
365 days a year times 400 years. They worked 80 to 100 plus hours a week their entire lifetime. Raise your hand and keep it up if you have ever worked 80 plus hours in a week. Okay, keep that hand up there. Now, if you did that three weeks in a row, keep your hand up. Oh, the hands are going away. Keep them up there for three weeks in a row. Keep your hand up there. If you did that for more than two months in a row, keep your hand up. If you did that for more than two years in a row, keep your hand. What? So our experience is not quite the same as their experience when they first heard about Sabbath. Let's just... I want you to think about how you felt because there was a lot of you that worked 80 plus hours in a week. How did you feel after that one week? Blown out. Some of you raised your hand for a long time. What was the longest? A year? Two years? How'd you feel after two years? Dead, dead. I think about the, like you, you cut the head off a chicken, right? And it continues to run around. I think when you've worked that long, that hard, all you know is going and doing. What did it do to their identity? Their identity was in their work. It became a comparison. <laughs> Have you ever done that in your work? Compared yourself to how hard you're working compared to the person next to you and how hard they're working? Oh, yeah, that's the most natural thing. Like, I wish this guy would pull his load. I wish this gal would do her part, right? Or, oh, I can't keep up with that person. I feel like garbage. They found their value in work. Who's going to marry a man? Who's going to marry a woman that, 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 that cannot produce? Right? You've been a slave all your life. This is where I find my value. And safety. I'd even call it survival or salvation. If you're not able to work, not only are you at work at risk as a person, you are putting your family at risk because you are dead weight. Let's say you're the husband, you're the patriarch, and you can't work and you got little kids. Someone's got to pick up the slack for you. Otherwise, and isn't that that part of the Exodus story? So that's the backdrop. That's the shadow that's shining that, that over the hearts of the people 
at Mount Sinai first hearing about Sabbath. And I want to suggest that this was the genesis of the gospel message. There was a brand new message being preached by Moses to the people of Israel. This was the genesis, the beginning of the gospel message. Because there's things like this. Uh, They were told that you are made in the image of God. That's Genesis 1. Right? You are made in the image of God. That's your identity. You bear the image of God. You bear the thumbprint of God in your life. That's your identity. Not your work. You are very good, God says. That's your value. Genesis 131, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. It was exceedingly good. God has this refrain over and over and over again in the days of creation. He said, it is good. But on the day he created you, he says, you are very Good. This is the genesis of the gospel message. But then you get to Genesis 3. We're told that we make mistakes. Raise your hand if that's not you. I'm going to put my hand down. Raise your hand if that's not you. Oh, we know we make mistakes. We know that we don't measure up. And sometimes we get stuck at Genesis 3. But God invites you to rest. He invites you to rest. Remember that that Logan says out of the last week, he said out of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, it's this chiasm. It's this uh, literary structure uh, the, the author structured it in such a way that, that as you get, there's a kind of hidden gem in the center of this literary structure within the first 11 chapters. And, and this is the center of that structure it says, Lamech lived 182 years and he became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah, which is this one will give us rest from our work and from our toil. God invites you to rest. This is the gospel message of Mount Sinai. This was the genesis of the gospel message. This is God starting to tell his gospel message to Israel. And oh, by the way, Jesus says to me, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. See, the people of Israel, they weren't experiencing that rest yet. Uh, You could go to Hebrews chapter four, and we won't jump into that because I'd be preaching all day long. And I love you guys. I know you're going to get hungry soon, so... Come to me, all who are weary 
and burdened, and I will give you rest. See this gospel of Mount Sinai, this good news message. That's what gospel means, means good news. It's a message about how this kingdom's going to function. It's, gonna, it's a message about how this kingdom is distinct and, and, and weren't the Jews getting that kind of a message at Mount Sinai? The word gospel, by the way, was first used by Alexander the Great. He, when he would conquer nations, he would say, I'm bringing you guys some good news. I just, I just defeated you, killed all your favorite people, but here's my good news for you. God's good news is actually real good news. I'll tell you, tell you that much. Um, but Sabbath answers for us, where do we get our identity? Where do, we, where do we get our value? How do we experience salvation? And how will this kingdom function? That's what the Jews learned that day at Mount Sinai. Where do we get our identity? Where do we get our value? How do we experience salvation? How will this kingdom function? And it's the genesis of the larger gospel message through Jesus Christ. That yes, you make mistakes. Yes, you get it wrong. Yes, you try to save yourself through, through, through working endlessly about the way you struggle over things, the way you fight through things, the way you wear yourself out on on, on things that you think will save you and they don't. Turn to Jesus. Trust him. He says to come to him. If you're weary, come to him. And he will give you rest. God has already authored your identity your value, and your salvation. His call to remember his Sabbath is an invitation to rest in his provision. We rest. We take that step of faith to rest. See, and to, to the degree that we choose to, to the degree that we, we, we with faith trust that we can just rest in God, that we don't have to earn our salvation, that we don't have to tell the world through the way we work something about our identity, that we don't have to tell the world through our work something about our value, that we don't have to you know, the problems, the challenges, the financial challenges that we're faced with, that we don't have to save ourselves, that we have a gracious God that will, that will care for those things. To the degree that we trust that, we tell a story to the rest of the world about who our God is. When we choose the gospel message in all its forms. And, and I'm telling you that, that this is the gospel message of Mount Sinai. And it's important to you and I. When we, 
buy into the gospel message. We tell a story to the people around us about who our God is. He's a beautiful God. Uh, Theologian Walter uh, Brueggemann said these words, Sabbath is not simply the pause that refreshes. It is the pause that transforms. Sabbath is an invitation to receptivity. In other words, God already has something for us. We just got to receive it. An acknowledgement of what is needed is given and need not be seized. I love works of the law by nature. For some, there's something about me that says I got to work harder so that you guys will believe I'm a good pastor. I got to work harder so that my family would be okay. I got to work harder so that the people around me won't notice my faults and my failures and my mistakes. Sabbath is an invitation to rest and what God has already done. He has authored your identity, your value, and your salvation. And we're called to rest within this provision. So we invite you to inhale. I think Logan does a better job at that. I'm going to have to work harder. If you're working to be seen, breathe, rest. If you're desperate trying to show your value, breathe, rest. (laughs) If you're behind your bills, things are breaking, the challenges are piling up and you need a savior to show up in your circumstances. The invitation is to breathe and rest. We're going to do something different today. We're going to pass out the communion elements halfway through this next song. And and we want you just to uh, be able to just sit in it. The song is called Communion. Uh, It's probably new to us. It may not be new to you. Uh, If you want to sing the words, you can sing the words. If you want to just sit there and reflect on what about resting in the things that God has already authored for you, We invite you just to contemplate in what area of your life is it your identity? Is it your value? Is it your salvation? In what area of your life do you find it hard to just rest? Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. 
Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. If you are in the Missoula area, we would love to have you come and join us for worship. Service times, location, and all kinds of other fun stuff can be found on our website, missionridge.church. You can connect with Mission Ridge Church through Facebook or Instagram, so give us a like or follow. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for tuning in. Well, we are week three. Are we week two? We're week two. Whew. I've got, uh, I actually have two sermons in my head. I got this week's and next week's. So that's, uh, I'll only be doing this week's though.